so low mo. That's the hot new buzzword in the Bay, and it refers to the social local mobile apps that have exploded onto the scene due to the proliferation of smartphones over the last few years. Today on Method to the Madness, we interview Lenny Ruchiski, founder and CEO of Local Mind, an upstart in the solo mo space. Stay with us. So I start. Uh, let's see. Seven months ago, I started a company called Local Mind, and the basic idea of Local Mind is people are sharing their location all the time, all over the world. Right now, there's millions of people checking in on Foursquare, on Facebook, on Koala, across the world. I heard a stat: there's three million check-ins a day on on Foursquare, and people are checking in, and the value of that check-in is pretty low still. Your friends know where you are; you get, they get notified. You get you get badges, you get some points, and it's really not that much value out of all this effort that we're putting in as we're going out. And so I basically realized there's a lot more that we could do with this data, and we don't really have to ask anyone to do anything more to give us that data. And so the basic idea of local mine is let's connect someone that's interested in knowing what's at a location with someone that's actually at that location in real time. And we do that by using the data that people are already sharing, like checking in at Foursquare, checking in on Gowala or Facebook. And when you check in, if you're a user of LocalMind, you become available at that location to be sent a question by someone that's interested in knowing what's happening at that location. And the use cases for things like for a, a LocalMind, for a tool like LocalMind is, I'm going out, should I get in my car and drive 20 minutes and park and then go to this bar that ends up being full or closed or not fun or they don't have a drink that I like? or not kid-friendly, and I'm bringing my family. And so Local Mind aims to solve that problem of removing any reason to be disappointed about a place that you're thinking about going to. And on a broader scale, gives you this kind of, the way I look at it is creating kind of this hive mind of humanity that you can connect everyone to everyone else in real time, on demand, to get information and to kind of get a little piece of advice from someone that's knowledgeable about either a location or a topic and then disconnect kind of this little on-demand wormhole into other people's worlds with their permission obviously and then you disconnect and you go on your way and so that's what local mind is all about and so in that in building the company and in exploring the space i've learned a lot about the social world there's kind of this social locomo acronym people are using social location and mobile and so we're right in that space and so yeah Okay, and in that space, there's a ton of players, right? Um, and is it really been it's been the technology that's really gotten to the point where it's exploded, or why is it exploding the way it is right now? The way I've, I've been thinking about it is there's ten trends that I've noticed that have converged at this moment in time, and it's kind of random that they've all happened. They've been a long time coming, a lot of them, but the fact that they've all the fact that they've all converge the way I look at it. It's kind of this big crashing wave of all these little waves have been coming our way and all of a sudden these 10 things are are collapsing into each other. And I'll try to remember what the 10 are. But number one is um, is the proliferation of mobile phones and smartphones. Everyone's got these smartphones that are in our pockets with us all the time. And they can do amazing things. Um, so that's one. And corollary to that, too, is always on location data. We always have data. We're connected to the web. We can do stuff, not just on our phone, but kind of this little portal into the cloud that the phone gives us access to. 
Then there's things like GPS as part of these phones. There's things like um, sharing our location, which I talked about, or sharing our location much more. There's the cloud and cloud computing, which makes it a lot easier to start companies and to do to try things. That's the way I look at it, is the cloud makes it really easy to try a new idea, not spend a lot of money on it, see what happens. It doesn't work out, start over. Not risk mortgage your house on it or not spend a million dollars. And so the more times people try an idea, the more likely they're going to be hitting on something that's actually successful. Failing fast is the, is the buzzword. Um, other trends are things like venue databases. There's all this free information about all the places that exist in the world when they're open, where the addresses are, pictures of them, um, information about check-in date and things like that. Um, that's kind of the basic idea of the trends that I've been seeing. And all that is – the other one, the other important one actually is uh, the social graph, the fact that there's a quantifiable social graph that we can all plug into and use. Facebook's created that. Twitter's got that. Foursquare's getting that now. And so we don't have to learn who your friends are. We can feed off of existing social platforms. And so these trends – 10 trends, I don't know if I listed all 10, um, kind of allowed us to do amazing things. And being in the startup world, on the one hand, it's a lot easier to start something really, really interesting because you don't have to do a lot of these things yourself. On the other hand, there's a lot more competition because everybody else can do these things too. And so you have to work really hard to differentiate and to move beyond that kind of pre-chasm world. You're listening to KALX Berkeley 90.7 FM, streaming on the World Wide Web at kalx.berkeley.edu. This is Method to the Madness, a 30-minute show about the innovative spirit of the Bay Area. I'm your host, Ali Nazar, and today we're interviewing Letty Ruchitsky, CEO of Local Mind. And the precursor to Local Mind was this app that I wrote. So Foursquare's API came out about two years ago, in 2009, I think, and that was the first major new platform that came out after Twitter and Facebook. And those were extremely successful in creating an ecosystem around their data and around their APIs. And so I knew something big was going to happen with Foursquare's data. It was the first time that we had access to location data. And yeah, location data was really the thing that was really interesting to me. And so there's this quote that, that McClure, Dave McClure uses, the best companies and the easiest companies to help succeed are ones that get you either paid, get you made, or get you laid. And so I focused on the last part. How do I get users laid? Because that's a lot. That's easier to market to people. <laughs> and so what I did is I built this app called Assisted Serendipity that uses Foursquare data to notify you when the male-to-female ratio tips in your favor at any bar or any restaurant or anything that you want to watch. And so you pick 10 places, and as soon as there's more girls than guys, more guys than girls, you get alerted. And it's still running. It's out there. You can use it. It still uses Foursquare data. And... While I was building that, I kind of realized there's a lot more we could do with this data, not just how many girls and guys there are, but what if I want to know other stuff about what's happening there? Why can't I contact one of those girls or one of those guys and find out, number one, is this true? Are there a lot of girls there? Or number, So that's the, the basic idea, but what about if I want to know, is it, is it fun? Is there room to sit? Is there a beer that I like? And so Local Mind came out of that. Okay, cool. So um, do you have any quantifiable statistics about 
the number of people who've gotten laid. <laughs> There's just a serendipity. You're a metrics guy, right? That's right. <laughs> it's, a, it's hard to track. I, the only thing I've been able to track is at the bottom of the notification, you get an, uh, I have an ad that says, if you like the service, buy me a beer. And people donate $3. And so I've had like five people donate $3. Oh, nice. So maybe that's, something's happened there. That's something there. <laughs> All right. So, um, you know, one question I have is, about these these mobile apps, the social, mobile, local stuff. There's so many of them coming out, and there's a really important um, launch strategy that has to be in place. I think you know because the key is to get to a tipping point. Mm-hmm. You know, especially something like your app, where mm-hmm. you know I was playing around with it and looking on a map, and there's a few people in Berkeley, right. and there's a few minds that pop up, and so that's good to see. Yeah, it wasn't empty. Mm-hmm. But you know, worldwide, people can use this app anywhere. Right. So how do you how do you plan to get that kind of adoption that you need for such an app? Yeah, and if I and if I had the the answer to that, I would I would I would be very rich. It's it's a hard problem to solve, and every like you said, everybody's trying to tackle that. And there's been a, a few successes. Instagram somehow figured it out, and they're not so much location, but they did something right. Foursquare. It took them a while to get to where they are, but they figured it out, and so. There's some models you can follow. Yelp kind of did that. They built a, a very kind of location-specific service that ex- exploded. And so we're we're honestly in the center of that kind of storm as solving that problem. The, there's a few typical things you do. Number one, connect and tap your social graph as much as possible. Get everyone to tell their friends about it as much as possible. The key is to create critical mass, as you said, in a specific region. Up to now, we've been very organic, across the world, tell your friends, see what happens kind of thing, not focused on any specific area. The next big phase for us, and actually just two days ago, we hired a head of community development who is number one job is acquire users and retain users. And the strategy is specifically focus on the Bay Area and get critical mass in the city because, number one, it's the easiest city to get critical mass in. People like new things, um, especially social mobile location type stuff. And um, and two, we're here, and so it makes sense to launch here. We actually tried initially to launch in Montreal, which is where we launched the company, which is unusual, but but that's where we launched, and it, it worked out really well. Unfortunately, there's not enough Foursquare traction there. People use it, but it's not as kind of regular day of life as it is here. And so our big push right now is let's get on the ground, start doing meetups, start doing happy hours, let's get local press, let's get people that are kind of influencers interested in local mind and talking about it. Um, so that's really the big strategy right now. Okay. And um, tell me a little bit about, you went through a um, an incubator process in Montreal, right? This show's about innovation. And so that's very much, you know, within our realm of interest is how do, how did that experience go down for you about getting into it mm-hmm. and going through it? Okay. Well, first I'll say that if you're starting a company, I would 100% recommend finding some sort of incubator to be involved in because especially if it's your first company, it's like a startup on training wheels or a startup with a rocket engine strapped to the back. It accelerates everything that you would organically do by tenfold. And there's no reason not to do it. You give up equity and you have to listen to people all day to give you, giving you advice, but it's so worth it. It's, it's unbelievable. Unfortunately, there's kind of this incubator bubble happening now where there's hundreds and hundreds of incubators out there and, you can't trust them all to do a good job. There's the common ones, Y Combinator, Techstars, and guys like that. But um, So I just wanted to kind of say that up front. The way that we got involved with them was very serendipitous. I was up in Montreal for a conference, a conference called BitNorth that I'm going to again in a month from now, 
which is a very small, intimate conference, 50 people in Montreal in a cabin for a weekend. And everyone that comes there has to do a talk, five-minute talk. And the um, TEDx talk that I ended up doing came from that. So there's a lot of serendipity involved. And so the guys that were launching this incubator happened to be at the conference, and they knew about me from Assisted Serendipity, actually, and from Webmetrics, the company I worked for. And so we just started talking, and we kind of went to lunch after the conference was over, and Local Mind came out of that. We're sitting around talking about all this data that's out there, location data and Foursquare and Assisted Serendipity, and what else can we do with that? And Local Mind came out of that. And so the fact that the idea was kind of this mutual idea across a bunch of people, including the incubator, I had to move up there to do it. And I don't regret that for a second. It was, it was the best experience of my life. Um, but that's how I got involved with them. It was, you know, it was almost too easy. I didn't have to go and pitch 100 incubators or anything like that. I just met these guys and then picked up my life, left my job, and moved up to Montreal. Yeah, and the the um, simpleness of the idea is really, I think, really exciting. Um, so, how many ideas did you kick around before you got to that one? <laughs> that was that was the only one that made sense. So, uh, yeah, you know, that's I'm kind of in the mode of my life where I don't want to think about any other ideas. It, every every kind of new idea, or every new app I look at, it's how can we take something from here from the kernel into local mind? How do we make local mind more useful? And so I'm trying not to avoid any sort of new ideas. The incubators themselves have a lot of good ideas. And so if you're not sure of a company you want to start, find an incubator. I'm sure they have some ideas that they've heard that other people have abandoned or that they've kind of come up with as they hear other people's ideas. Okay. So you go through the incubator process, and um, do they provide seed funding for you? Yeah, and I think most of them do that. This one provided more seed funding than most, but they take a more the bigger chunk of equity and that's their model. And their model is very unusual. It's a year-long program, up to a year. You don't have to stay there for a year. You work in their office space. They're there every day across the desk, meet with you a few times a week. Um, it's a very lean startup-oriented, you know, kind of yeah. that, whole, okay, that whole methodology. So it's very – the funding is based on these milestones and tranches of lean startup philosophy. First you get – so it's a 50, you get $50,000 for this incubator. You get ten thousand dollars up front. You get another twenty when you've made your MVP, and then you get another twenty when you've gotten product market fit. And so you have to kind of convince them that you've got those things. And yeah, they're there every every day, giving you advice and telling you how how slow you're working and how terrible your ideas are. That's interesting. So it would almost seem to be uh, somewhat of an advantage to be outside of the Bay Area's bubble in that kind of scenario because you're going to get more attention. That's that's exactly how it worked out for us. Nothing I planned. And we're kind of actually caught in this little, um, I don't know, story around people leaving Canada, companies, why are they leaving Canada? And so it's kind of an interesting kind of s- circle of stories around us right now. But, um, um, yeah, the uh, what was your question again? I'm sorry. <laughs> I was saying maybe it's an advantage. It was oh, more right. of a statement. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I guess that, no, my, totally my question is. would be is why did you move to California? Yeah, well, so let me address that real quick. Is I, I totally we found that to be very true is launching outside of the Bay Area. Not that I know what it would have been like to go to start from scratch and launch here, but it ended up being really, really helpful for us is in Montreal, for example. As soon as there's an interesting idea or something people like and – see a vision for they completely support it and love it and do everything they can to help you which isn't going to happen here because there's so many other people doing the same kind of thing and so you kind of raise rise right to the top if you have anything worthwhile and so that helped us tremendously we had a lot of great attention and press made some amazing friends and contacts there and now we kind of are riding that wave into the valley here hopefully it works out 
Um, yeah, so launching here would be much more difficult. There's a lot more competition, and especially Montreal, where they're creating, they're really, really focused on creating an ecosystem there. There's a lot of support. There's money. There's advisors. There's office space. There's a lot of there's a lot of talented people there. So it worked out really well for us. But then, what Why precipitated the move? Yeah, yeah. So that's 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 the story we we keep running into. <laughs> you know, the way we look at it is, you need a reason not to move here. This is the center of gravity for our world, especially mobile, social, location type stuff. You're at, at a disadvantage not being here, not being able to go get a coffee with an investor or a partner or employees they might want to hire. And so the entire time we had, we were looking for a reason not to move here. We were looking in New York, and if there was a good, a strong investor out there that really wanted us to move there, we would have moved there too. But it was really the default for us, and really the decision was between the valley or, or the city, and we decided on the city. You're listening to KALX Berkeley 90.7 FM, streaming on the World Wide Web at kalx.berkeley.edu. This is Method to the Madness, a 30-minute show about the innovative spirit of the Bay Area. I'm your host, Ali Nazar, and today we're interviewing Letty Ruchitsky, CEO of Logomind. Tell me a little bit about, you talk about the social graph. Mm-hmm. Um, you're talking about accessing it. Um, so is it a ab- big abstract data set or are there visualizations that you can use to really understand it better? How does that work? The simple way to look at it is you, t- you ask Facebook, who are this guy's friends? Who are Lenny's friends? And it just gives you this big list of all my friends on Facebook and their Facebook IDs. Other services like Foursquare give you all their names and their email addresses and their phone numbers if they have them in Foursquare and where they've checked in. And so that's kind of the data you're playing with. And with that, you can figure out, number one, who of your friends are also members of the service. You can figure out when you sign up for the service, how many of your friends are already members, so we could show you here's who's already a member and maybe you should think about signing up, kind of the social proof idea. That's the first layer. And then you could figure out who's your friend, who's a friend of a friend. And so I sign up. And I can see who else is on the system that's across. So let me give a concrete example. When you open up LocalMind and you sign into LocalMind, you not only see every other user that's a member of LocalMind, you also see all your friends that are on Foursquare that aren't necessarily users because Foursquare gives us access to that data. They tell us where your friends have checked in, even if they're not members of LocalMind. And so that allows you to send questions to friends of yours that aren't necessarily users if you, they provide their phone number, if they provide force with their phone number. And so that's a very concrete use of the social graph data that without that, you sign up and we just know, hey, it's Lenny. Great. Now what do we do? With your social graph data, we can send an email to your friends. Hey, your friend signed up. You should join or allow you to invite your friends, things like that. Um, and then, you know, there's Twitter, too, which has a tremendous amount of social graph data. So what's the um, security policies for accessing those graphs? Can anybody do it? You, as a user, you authenticate. So you sign in and you say, LocalMind is asking for permission to access this data. With Foursquare, sorry, with Facebook, it's very granular. There's, trying to remember how many permissions there are. There's like 20 or 30 permissions that you ask for. And so when you, you've probably seen, you sign up for an app and you say, log log in with Foursquare and it gives you a list of things that they're going to have access to. And so... You read through that and you're like, all right, sure. And it's an all or nothing kind of situation. You can't say local mind can only get access to these things because we require all that data that we ask for. It's all or nothing kind of kind of thing. And different services have different permission levels 
Twitter and Foursquare are all or nothing. There's no real granularity. It's everything or nothing. For Facebook gives you very granular permission metrics, which honestly I don't think anyone really understands from the user's perspective. They just see a big list and then they see a big allow button. And I think most people just click allow, which is it's a tough position for Facebook to be because they, you know, they're like, yeah, hey, we're asking you, what's the problem? Because if you get pissed off down the road, you've approved it. What are you going to do? Yeah, it's like the iTunes terms of service. Right? Yeah, that no one reads. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, another thing I wanted to ask you about was um, you're obviously about solving a big data problem, right? There's right. There's huge amounts of data that you're trying to do analytics on and, and to extract some kind of knowledge, right. location-aware knowledge. So how do you go about architecting the system to do that? You, you mentioned cloud computing platforms. Are you using something like that, or do you have to hire architects to mm-hmm. build you a monster database? Or? So my general philosophy with starting any sort of project is do as little as possible up front because you have no idea where it's actually going to go. Don't waste your time architecting it or over-architecting it early because you may end up realizing this isn't exactly what I wanted to build, and you spend six months building this amazing architecture or amazing data data store that you're not and not going to end up using and so my philosophy has always been do the bare minimum actually release something see how people like it and then iterate on that and so I'm st- we're still in that mode of let's just keep iterating and evolving from a very simple design until we've got this product market fit which is kind of this tangential concept what is product market fit you know it's when your users are signing up like crazy maybe no one really knows what that means. But anyway, um, so we are built on the cloud. We're all Google App Engine, which is a platform as a service. I think that's very clearly the future of software development. It's the natural evolution of assembly language to C type code to Java C++ to Ruby Python to platform as a service, where instead of dealing with tiny registers and memory memory buckets when you're doing assembly now you're not even dealing with servers you just write code you say put something in the database call a url and you upload it into the cloud and it manages scalability for you it manages performance it manages servers going down overheating power being cut out and from the perspective of an entrepreneur or a programmer any time you spend on something that's not a core competency is a waste of time because everybody's doing that and it's not going to differentiate you unless you're an infrastructure company or you figure out a way to make it really cheap like Google, Facebook. They've kind of got to the point where they have to worry about that stuff because it's a differentiator for them. No one's going to be able to scale up to Google's level because they've done so much innovation on that. So I'm all about platform as a service. If I couldn't use Google App Engine, I would use something like Amazon or or Rackspace, and I would never think about using my own hardware unless there's a really, really kind of monetary justification for that. And there's not just money, it's also the opportunity cost of operations, dealing with servers, waking up in the middle of the night. Google App Engine, I love it. Has it pretty much been universally adopted by this wave of entrepreneurs? Is there anybody who's like, (laughs) old school, I'm going to build it myself? I would say, yeah. It's been almost exclusively cloud-based now, and it's really... Are you going to go with Amazon or are you going to go with Rackspace or are you going to go with Google App Engine? And then there's there's Heroku, which is very popular too. Sure, yeah. But there's still definitely a, a shift. There's still a kind of a divide between the regular cloud like Amazon and then the platform as a service. And I think platform as a service clouds are still very early. But I'm a huge fan. I would 100% recommend using them. 
Okay. So <clears throat> one thing, an interesting quote I read from Richard Scoble last week was about um, he's getting tired of checking out all these new apps that come out <laughs> and people talking about all the users they have. Right. So he said that the real metric isn't how many users you have. It's your attrition rate. That's what he wants to talk to mm-hmm. people about. Mm-hmm. So how do you make it sticky? Yeah. Yeah. I call it retention, engagement retention. And I, I totally agree. It's it's kind of tricky. It's As a company, we're always focused on user acquisition and retention. And you always have to figure out which one's more important. When we talk to investors, they seem to be really fixated on users. How many users do you have? You know, if you say you have 20,000 users, that's one thing if you have... 200,000, they're excited. If you have 2 million, they're really excited. Even if 1% of them, I wouldn't say if it's that bad, like say 5% are retained. If only 5% are actually active, it's fine for them in a lot of cases, which is sad because that's not really a product if no one's sticking around. And so we as a company have to decide what's more important and where do we put our resources because you can always fo- only focus on a couple things. And so, yeah, so retention, that's that's the product market fit is people are coming back to your product. They aren't just signed up. They actually find it useful and keep coming back. And especially in the iPhone platform, like you said, there's a thousand apps coming out every day. And there's only so many apps you can fit on your iPhone's front page or first few pages. And so it's a battle for that kind of territory warfare on the iPhone. And there's a lot of tricks that you can use. And you have to balance tricks between between tricks and actual value in the product and so some tricks something i've been noticing is there's kind of this tragedy of the common situation around email it's been there for a while where you want to bug your users as much as possible as much as possible to remind them that you exist and so email was the kind of the original version of that and now push notifications are becoming that people want to apps want to notify you as much as possible to be like oh yeah i exist and so so that's so, so that's a trick you use is every time a user of yours joins, you notify all their friends, hey, this user's joined. So they remember, oh, yeah, LocalMine exists or whatever app exists. And, oh, people are joining. That's awesome. They're doing really well. So that's a trick people use, emailing users every week with some interesting information. Um, so those are tricks. And then there's the actual value. You, you know, just make an app useful like Facebook. People come back to it five times a day. The value is I want to know what's going on in my world, which is a really important need that we all have. And so... But that's a hard problem to solve until you get everybody on it. That's that critical mass problem, right? You're not going to know what's going on until everybody's on it. Um, so in the end, the answer to your question is make a product that is actually useful to people. This is the mighty 90.7 FM KALX Berkeley. You're listening to Method to the Madness, a 30-minute show about the innovative spirit of the Bay Area. I'm your host, Ali Nazar, and today we've been speaking with CEO Lenny Rachitsky of Local Mind. So let's talk about local mines use. So tell us some stories about, you know, some anecdotes about people have used it in cool ways. Sure. So one, there's a few stories that I, that I like to tell. One is someone was sending a question to a concert venue. I think it was a girl talk concert. I think it was actually in San Francisco and they wanted to know if it was, if there's a long line to get in, they wanted to kind of buy a ticket if it was not too crowded. And they got an answer back where the guy said, that's not so crowded, just getting rolling, but I have an extra ticket. And if you want to come by, I'll give it to you. And they ended up meeting and got the ticket. So that's a great story. You know, that's, that's local mine is built on this theory that 
people have intrinsic desire to help people and they're intrinsically helpful and they enjoy helping and not to say people are intrinsically good but that people like helping other people and so that's a great example of that you know you got nothing out of it you met some guy gave him a free ticket another example is when the tsunami hit japan a few months ago we saw a bunch of questions being sent to people in japan about how are things going is there anything thing we could do to help you has the water reached a certain point and what's interesting about local mine is you open up the map and you see the map of the world and you can zoom around and you zoom into japan and you see markers lit up in japan all over japan and you kind of realize i can contact some guy in japan just some random guy you know, either I want to go to Japan and I'll ask a real question or you just talk to some guy in Japan. How else do you contact someone in Japan? There's no, you know, Japan guy at japan.com. And so local mine allows you to do that. And so we saw people doing that, clicking on markers, reading it on the news, and then clicking markers and sending questions. What, what can we do to help? What's happening? So that, that was a great story. It was great to see that kind of thing. There was, um, after Osama bin Laden died, we saw people sending questions to downtown New York asking, like, how's the party and kids pay my respects. That was really cool at Ground Zero. Um, yeah, those are some of the interesting stories. Cool. So what about, um, this is my, you know, always ask this question to every entrepreneur I talk to you, <laughs> five years from now, mm. what does it look like? The vision I always come back to with Local Mind is this kind of omniscience as a service where you can see and you can know what's happening anywhere in the world in real time right now. Right now it's through other people. You ask a person a question, they give you an answer, and you can see through kind of their eyes metaphorically. I think in the future we're not going to have to rely on people for that type of information. I think we're going to have a lot of interesting APIs and sensors that are already integrated around the world that we can tap through APIs. We can figure out how crowded is a place, how noisy is a place, how much parking is left. Um, how many seats are left at a restaurant without actually having to ask anyone. We're just going to have the data available. And local mind is built on this premise that there's all this stuff that people are doing that together creates this amazing product. We're sitting on top of Foursquare, Goala, Facebook. We use Simple Geo. We use Urban Airship. We use, you know, we're sitting in Apple's, Apple's marketplace. All these things that connect that save us time. We don't have to worry about them, and we can iterate and innovate a lot more quickly. And so I see the same thing happening with the world. Tim O'Reilly talks about sensors in the world and this kind of Internet of Things where just the world becomes more connected to the digital world. And once real-world sensors are are in place, we can do amazing things with them, like, like kind of what I'm describing where local mind is going. So the nerds will rule the earth. Huh? <laughs> I think everyone will will benefit. I don't see it just being the nerds. But you have to be able to access the API to really. Ah, do I see some what you're damage. saying. Well, yeah. what's nice is we're building this on top of all that stuff, so you don't have to worry about it as That's a user. True. You there just you ask a question or find whatever you want to know. But yeah, in spite of that, the nerds will rule the world. We're the, we're the new rock stars, right? We're we're changing people's lives. You can check out Local Mind at localmind.com. Or check out their app in the iTunes App Store for iPhones. Just go to iTunes and type Local Mind. This has been Method to the Madness. You can check us out at methodtothemadness.org. Have a great Friday, everybody.